Coming up next, the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-45. When Yeshua was being tried, they asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you this son of man? Are you this Isaiah 53 guy? That's what they were asking him, folks. Are you this Isaiah 53 guy? And once again, hi there, this is Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio. We are on the second podcast, part two, of our series that we began on the biblical Hebraic idea that is behind the expression, the Son of Man. On the last podcast, we were talking about the Son of Man as a pointed reference to the person and work of Yeshua, occurring some 88 times in the Brichadashah or New Testament. And it also shows up many, many times in Hebrew Scripture between Genesis and Second Chronicles. So we're going to continue where we left off on the last podcast, and we'll address this idea of the Son of Man and find out exactly what it means. We're going to explore the answer to the question and get even deeper. And recall from our last podcast that I quoted passages like Matthew 18, 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Or Mark 14, 62, Yeshua said, I am, referring to a question that was asked to him from the Sanhedrin as to his status as the coming Messiah. And he says, And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And there's lots of references like this. And uh, on the last podcast, we were uh, identifying the idea of the Son of Man in contemporary Hebrew. Then we took it into some biblical Hebrew. Then we addressed the idea of the Son of Man as a statement, bar enosh, bar enosh, breaking down the idea of bar meaning son in Aramaic and a wheat grain in Hebrew. Then we broke it down even further to talk about a nosh or a nosh as referencing a man of weakness and sickness. So we were talking a little bit about that. Then we went into a comparison between a nosh for a man and for a sickly one. And we were taking a look at this idea between Isha, which is the Hebrew term for woman in Genesis 2.23, and Insha, which is very likely the original meaning and spelling with a nun for the word woman, because the nun drops out, which takes us back to the root for Enosh or Enosh, meaning a woman of weakness or a man of weakness and sickness. 
So we were dealing with all these subjects and different ideas. And if you need to go back and review, feel free to take part one and re-listen to it. Then you can come forward here to part two. So then on the last podcast, I brought up the matter of what we need to see and understand. And that is that a man must learn how to be a strong man. And what exactly does that mean? It means he is a servant to his woman. And I don't mean Jeeves. I don't mean you're a butler. You know, like, oh, well, I just got to go ahead and do this and this and this for you, and you don't have to do anything, woman. No, that's not what I'm referring to. Strong is more of a spiritual term. And I'm not talking about male physical strength, because generally men will always be physically stronger than women, because this is the natural way of life. When a man says, I love you, he's showing it by his actions of servitude and making his woman or his wife happy through his service. So I left off last time with the statement, woman is a weaker vessel because she chooses to be so, not because she is weak. A woman is not weak. She can't be because she was taken out of man, and man is strong. But a woman is strong emotionally in her soul. She knows when something's going on. Oh, you guys, you try arguing with a real together woman. There's a good chance you might lose your argument because she knows what's going on. Her little, uh, you know, <laughs> how do I say this? Her BS alarm goes off. Eh, 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 because you guys know when you're messing around with your woman and messing with her head, she knows she's pretty intuitive generally, okay? So a weaker vessel is a woman, but it's only because she chooses to be so, but not because she is. Do you at all follow me? The weakness of woman in Hebrew is reflected in the word isha, for a woman. But the issue is that it cannot be appreciated. This Hebrew word, isha, it cannot be appreciated until we reintroduce the weak dropped Hebrew letter nun, which was originally in that word for a woman. Once you reintroduce that Hebrew nun, which dropped out, then it gives us the word in Shah with a noon. You'll hear the n sound, kind of a nasal sound. That's the word in Shah, which is interestingly derived from the root word Anosh or Anosh. And that word Anosh, Anosh, in Aramaic and in Hebrew, it refers to weakness and sickness. And I showed you last time that there's a connection to the Messianic prophecy of Isaiah 53. So let's go on. A woman's true calling and purpose 
is to choose to be weak, even as the earthly metaphor of the spiritual truth shows us that we are the bride of Messiah. I think I'll probably have your agreement there because we sort of see that idea, right? We are the bride of Messiah, folks. And for women, you know, you can generally link to that idea pretty well. But for us guys, you know, thinking I'm a woman linked to the bride of Messiah, it's a, it's a little bit more difficult. But still, it's there. The idea is there. So, we are the bride of Messiah, and we choose, yes, we choose to be weak in Him. And when we, a bride, when we are submissive to Messiah, when we choose to be weak in relationship to our master, to our man, then he, Messiah, who is the bridegroom, is then strong for us. I'm sure you understand that. It's a principle of biblical truth that should be found in the home, in the workplace, in the world, and generally in all of the messianic community of the body of Messiah. So, do we have a new covenant doctrine where a man is supposed to be a strong man, like a servant king, who loves by serving the woman of weakness? The answer is yes, categorically yes. Look at 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, or masters, likewise dwell with them, that is, with the women, and dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the woman, that's to the wife, as to the weaker vessel. Ah, beautiful words coming out of 1 Peter 3, 7. So, this writer understood the idea of a woman as a weaker vessel and choosing to be that way. So from the very beginning in the book of Genesis, I think our creator, Yehovah, meant to show the man, that's in Hebrew, Ish, Aleph, Yud, Shin, Ish. He wanted to show us men, the Ish, how he, how a man, is supposed to serve his woman. It is by giving her the love that she needs, like a flowering plant that needs watering. So Paul certainly understood the concept in his day. It was definitely no surprise to him. Ephesians 5, 25-26, he writes, Husband, love your wife or woman just as Messiah also loved the congregational assembly and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water in or by the word. Now, this principle teaches us to care for the woman of weakness as a strong man in the same way that our Messiah cares for us as a strong man. Yes, He 
is our strong man. This means that our role in this messianic relationship between us and Mashiach or Messiah, our role is to choose to become weak in regards to him. That's the idea reflected through the Hebrew term in-shah with a n sound. That's a woman of weakness. So again, try to follow me here. The weak Hebrew letter nun, that's the letter that drops out in Hebrew. It describes us as in-shah. That is, a woman of weakness and not just Eshah, a woman, okay, or a wife. We are Enshah. We are a woman of weakness, and we rely upon our man. Now, if you get strong with Messiah, with our bridegroom, because we're the bride, if you get strong with him and start arm wrestling him, He's going to walk away from it, and he's going to say, well, if you want to be strong, be strong, but both of us can't be strong here at the same time. I'm going to be strong through you, but if you want to take the job over and do it, well, have at it. I'm not going to participate. I think that's what he's saying, because he wants us to be his bride. He does not want us to be his man, and he's the woman. doesn't work that way. So biblically, a woman chooses to be a vessel of weakness to her husband or master, who is then supposed to love her with divine messianic strength. So, listen up, guys, to the men who are listening to my voice. When we accept our role in the weakness of of the bride of Messiah between us and Yehovah, our master. Yeah, the one above. We, that's us, us guys, we are then in a position between us and him, we are in a position to be strong in him, not replacing him as strength. It's not that we're to be strong outside of him. Uh-uh. We're to be strong in him. And the same is true in a marriage relationship or even in a dating situation, even in an engagement. Because if you're going to get married, you better know this stuff if you want to avoid a lot of trouble in your marriage later on. You see, guys, our role is to practice the servant king role slash relationship of Messiah as man to woman so that we can be there for our woman because she has chosen to be weak for us and for him, for Messiah. In this, she is showing us how the body of Messiah is to be weak and submissive to him who is stronger than we. In this, her choice is to submit to her man as a woman of weakness, which will always turn to a blessing for a man, for you guys. This is the Esha slash Enshah 
dynamic in our relationships. We will never know the spiritual strength of a man as it relates to a woman in a marriage, in dating, in an engagement. We won't understand it. Not even in the church, in the kahal, in the congregation. We will not ever understand it until we step into our role as a woman of weakness who is in submission to Yehovah, our Messiah. When we know a Messiah as his woman, as his bride, and we permit him to become our strong man, you know, like a strong tower, then and only then will we understand our role in the natural world. And that is, to serve our woman or our wife as a servant slash king. Call us a servant king by being like Messiah to her. Of course, this requires that we choose to die to our own needs first and to put her needs first, to live for her before we choose to put our own needs first. Oy, I'm tired already. This is hard work. Every guy who's listening to my voice, I know you're going to agree with me. This is hard work. This is tough. Yeah, but once we begin doing this, and I'm learning it too, guys. I haven't come to my own and all of a sudden I got it all, you know, perfected here. No way. I get in the flesh like all of us guys get in the flesh. No, this is hard work. But once we begin to get on the path of learning this, we can begin the true process of learning what it means to be a servant king and a true bride of Messiah instead of a tyrant or dictator king who knows nothing more than to lord or master it over those that he's over. And he does not know what it means to serve, but only what it means to be served. Our role is not to lord it over the woman, or anybody by that matter, in my opinion, as I would understand New Covenant theology. Rather, we live and we die for the woman who has, in love, chosen the characteristics of weakness and submission to us as men. Therefore, we owe it to them to be a loving servant king. This is what the New Covenant submission idea is all about. So, therefore, we read in Ephesians 5, 22, Wife or woman... Submit to your own man or your own husband as to the master, Yehovah. And Colossians 3, 18 through 19. Woman, wife or woman, submit to your own man. That's your husband. As is fitting. The Hebrew word there, I think, would probably be kosher, because the word fitting and kosher, they're the same idea today in modern Hebrew, okay? As is fitting or kosher, 
in the master, Messiah, man, husband. He says, love or serve your woman or wife. That is, die for her. Die to yourself for her. And do not be bitter toward her. Oh, I can really grasp hold of that idea. You know, I'm having to die to myself and my own personal needs, and I serve my wife first and do the things that I do for her. And all the while, I'm finding myself grumbling. uh, Do I have to do this? Oh, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, no, don't make me do that. Please don't make me do that. Don't make me do that. Oh, please. Aye. This explains all those New Testament passages about the body of Messiah in that the gender of the collective messianic body is feminine as a bride is to her bridegroom. Take a look at 2 Corinthians 12.9. And he, Yehovah, said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, as the woman of Messiah, that's my commentary, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that is, my sickness or weakness, that's my commentary, that the power of Messiah which is the strength and spiritual health of the master, that that may rest upon me. In other words, his power and strength rests on me because I have chosen to submit to him and to give up my will and my needs first so that he would have preeminence. And in that, he becomes my strength. So in the same way, we are learning that our woman, guys, our wife, our girlfriend, they are going to teach us that biblical principle, and we are going to learn to apply it between us and Jehovah, and then in that way, we will then learn how to apply it between us and the woman, her, the woman in our life. So it's going to go both directions. And then there's this from Revelation 21, 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a woman, that is, a bride, adorned for her man, her husband. So whenever you see those little Greek New Testament references to weakness or perhaps sickness or submission, I'm asking you to seriously consider that these are likely direct metaphorical linkings back to the idea of how a woman is to express her role to her man in the Hebrew Bible. The woman here, again, Insha. She was designed and created to choose weakness and to be dependent on her man. 
which is exactly how Genesis 3.16 and Ephesians 5.22-26 explains it into this idea of the Son of Man and this idea of weakness and sickness and submission and dying to oneself and to living and serving another. It's all tied in together with this idea of Son of Man because it's all connected to Isaiah 53. Let's come back after our break, and we'll continue where we left off. This is the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio with Avi Ben Mordechai. If you wish to stay up to date with coming home news and information, simply register your email address with us on our website, cominghome.co.il. From time to time, we hope to answer questions and comments from our podcast listeners. Send us an email address to questions at cominghome.co.il. Stay with us and we'll be back to continue the second half of this podcast, Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. You are listening to Avi Ben Mordechai and the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio, episode 20-45. Welcome back to the podcast of Ancient Roads, Real Israel Talk Radio. Once again, here's your host, Avi Ben Mordechai. Okay, we're back to continue our study, the idea of a woman who is designed and created to choose weakness and to be dependent on her man, which is exactly how Genesis 3.16 and Ephesians 5.22-26 will explain it. Let's look at it briefly. Wife, woman, submit to your own man, that is your husband or master, as to the master Jehovah. For the man, that is the husband, is head of the woman, the wife. And also Messiah is head of the congregational assembly. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the congregational assembly is subject to Messiah, so let woman, that is a wife, be subject to her own man, her own husband in everything. Then Paul goes on to say, man, that is husband, love, which is defined as serve and die to yourself for your woman or wife, just as Messiah also loved and served and died for the congregational assembly and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water in or even by the word. Thus we learn from Yeshua in John thirteen thirteen through 15. You call me teacher and master, said Yeshua, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your master and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This teaching requires that a man should serve 
and die to himself for his woman or wife, as Messiah also serves and dies for his woman or wife. In this, our spiritual womanly weakness is then made strong because we are now going to run into him, our manly strong tower of heaven and earth. In this, Jehovah is our strength. He is our comforter, which is when we are weak, as Scripture attests. Look at Proverbs 18.10. The name of Jehovah is a strong tower. The righteous, or if you will, the just, run to him and are safe. So now, let's take a look at some summary ideas and tie all of this together. A nosh or a nosh in Aramaic is a man. A nosh or a nosh in Hebrew is weakness and sickness. Ish or Adam in Hebrew is a man. Isha or Insha is a woman in Hebrew. It doesn't matter. Both of them are the same. So now let's talk a little about the serpent in Genesis 3.1. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast or life of the field, which Jehovah Elohim had made. And he said to the woman, that is, he said to the Enshah, to the weak and sick one. Now, in Hebrew, it says to the Isha. However, as we put this dropped noon back into the word, we're going to get Enshah. So, let's look at it in that light. And he said to the woman, to the Enshah, to the weak and sick one. In Genesis 3, Nahash, the serpent, had launched his attack against the woman. That is, she's the weaker vessel taken out of the man. She was exploited in her weakness and in her desire to be wise and strong from Genesis 3.6. Therefore, she made a choice to be weakened. Again, she made a choice to be weakened, which made her vulnerable towards the will of the serpent. He became the new master. And he was not about to die for her. I'll tell you that right now. He's going to make her die for him. She caved and came to be one with the tree belonging to the serpent. And she became spiritually sick with her husband because he too took of the fruit from the tree that she offered to him. When he also ate from that forbidden fruit, oh, I think likely this is when the noon which propagates our human species in its pictograph form looks kind of like a sperm, okay? That's the idea. When that noon dropped out of the Hebrew word for a woman in Scripture, that's Isha, then what happened was man, that is, Enosh or Enosh, came to be defined not just as somebody who's weak, but also a man of 
sickness, a man who is sickly. In other words, the Hebrew term enosh or enosh, aleph, nun, shin, likely came to be identified with the letter nun that dropped out of the word describing a woman who was Adam's woman or man's woman. It describes her and the concept of enosh, sickness or illness, or someone who is sickly. This human condition represents the sickness of the human genome as it is passed down through the seed of Adam, the man. And this is Scripture's idea of the Son of Man, or the Son of Sickness and Weakness. He came to be that for us. According to Isaiah 53, let's now take a look at that, and we'll get a good idea of what's going on here. To remedy the spiritual corruption that both the man and the woman transmitted down line in coming to be one with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Jehovah later speaks through his word in Psalm 2 verse 12 to further define the concept of the Son of Man. The prophetic words of that psalm are there to announce to us the coming of Messiah who was to arrive in order to forever break the bond of man's spiritual slavery and sickness and to heal him from his inherited spiritual sickness. This was to happen by healing that dropped Hebrew letter Nun in his established identity as the bride of Messiah. So, let us take a look into the future from this vantage point of Psalm 2, verse 12. Here it is from the Hebrew text. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Well, I've heard a lot of anti-missionary Jewish guys say, oh, that is so ridiculous. Kiss the sun. And they will sit there and laugh at it. Oh, they know what's going on. How is it possible that they cannot know? I don't believe it. Not for a moment. They have to know. If they know Hebrew, in the passage, the Hebrew phrase, kiss the sun, is nashkubar, nashkubar. Nashku is from the Hebrew and Aramaic word nashak, nashak, referring to a kiss given to members of a family. It's a kiss, okay? The word bar, as we already saw, has a double meaning. In Aramaic, it refers to a son, and in Hebrew, it refers to wheat grain. Quite often, nashkubar is usually translated into English as kiss the sun, because bar has a double meaning. Remember, bar in Aramaic is 
a son. But in Hebrew, bar is a grain of wheat because both are prophetically saying the same thing. They are. They're both saying the same thing, that Jehovah's son is also like a grain of wheat. And this certainly brings tremendous clarity to Yeshua's prophetic word in John 12, 24 through 25. Take a look at it here. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, yes, it remains alone. But if he, that is a bar and a son, or the wheat grain, if he dies, he produces much grain. Again, grain here would be bar and son, or if you will, sons like grains of wheat. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it unto eternal life. And Yeshua then was saying that because of what was going to happen to him as Jehovah's son and as Jehovah's grain of wheat, many sons or grains of wheat will rise up when that plant sprouts up out of the ground following in Yeshua's resurrection as a type and a shadow of who we are. With this thought, we can all understand the full implications of the idea for the term gospel, that is, the good news of Yeshua's death, burial, and third-day resurrection as heaven's sun and heaven's grain of wheat that dies and goes back to the ground and is then raised up into eternal life on the third day. And so in Him, in Him, folks, we too are the same. We are Jehovah's wheat grains. We are Jehovah's sons and daughters, just like grains of wheat, because we are in Yeshua who was the wheat grain and the sun. Thus we enter into heaven's sun and we die to the old man of sin and death in us. And we live through resurrection, through Yeshua's resurrection on the third day, living to that in the new man of life and peace. Peace in Hebrew is the word shalom. It means wholeness, not something where it's like, oh, well, we won't have any conflict. No, no, that's not the word for peace in Hebrew. It's not about lack of conflict. It's about wholeness. And it's exactly as Paul rightly understood it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Therefore, Psalm 2, 12 teaches us the prophetic picture of the coming role of Messiah in our personal and national redemption in Yeshua, the Messiah, 
who was called the Wonderful in Isaiah 9, the Holy, the Divine Wheat Grain of Heaven and Earth. Yes, from Psalm 2, verse 12. That's why it says, Kiss the sun, kiss the grain of wheat, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Because if you don't eat of his wheat grain, if you don't eat of his word, which is like bread, grains of wheat from the sun, if you don't eat of that, guess what? You perish. You will die because you don't have the wheat. You don't have the food in you. You die for a lack of food. That's kiss the sun. Kiss that grain of wheat. Bless Jehovah for what he gave to us, the Messiah who died and resurrected for us, that grain of wheat, that son. And then John 12, 45 says, but if he, referring to that bar or that son, that is that wheat grain, if he dies, he produces much grain, that is bar or son, or if you will, Sons like grains of wheat because we're in him. And John 12, 24 through 25 also. That also forms a kind of collective prophetic bond to teach us about the messianic redemption in Yeshua. The wonderful, the holy, and the divine son of Yehovah, who is also the grain of wheat from heaven and earth, who came to be for us the son of weakness, the son of sickness. He came to be for us the sickly man, the Enosh or Enosh, that is the Isaiah 53 man of sickness, or as the rabbis say, the leper scholar. He was the expected one to bear the sickness, the enosh of the woman, the insha, the weak and sick one, where the original biblical Hebrew term for woman, isha, again derived from the root enosh or enosh, that all means sickness and weakness, or weakness and sickliness, all that, folks, it's surely fulfilling the prophetic word, again, of Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he, that's going to be the sick and weak one, he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, or the Hebrew word for iniquities would be avon, from the infinitive, la'avon, which means twisted, to twist or to pervert. So he was bruised for our twistedness and perversion, which came from the Garden of Eden, the chastisement of our wholeness, because that was what Adam was before he ate and became a fallen man. The chastisement of our wholeness was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. So when we tie together the words from Aramaic and Hebrew, that of bar and enosh, bar enosh or bar enosh, 
This gives us great clarity to understand Yeshua's expression in Matthew 18, 11. Again, for the Son of Man, Bar Enosh, has come to save that which was lost. So again, as I close off here, in Aramaic, Bar Enosh or Bar Enosh is a son of Adam, just like Ben-Adam is in Hebrew, and also it is a son of weakness. And in Hebrew, Bar Enosh or Bar Enosh, this in Hebrew is a wheat grain that is weak, sick, and ill. So with all these concepts, I know for sure that it's going to play into a great understanding of what all of this means when Yeshua says that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We will know what this idea of the Son of Man is and why. All those guys of the Sanhedrin, when Yeshua was being tried during that court the night before his midday crucifixion in Jerusalem, remember in Matthew 26, when they tore their garments because they asked him, are you the Messiah? Are you this Daniel chapter 7 man? Are you this son of man? Are you this Isaiah 53 guy? That's what they were asking him, folks. Are you this Isaiah 53 guy? And he answered, you've said it yourself. And you are going to see this Isaiah 53 guy coming on the clouds of heaven that could not have been any more clear to them. And those men were absolutely incensed at what he had to say. They were so angry. And that's why they said, you have heard the testimony. What more proof do we need? And that's when they sent him out to his crucifixion because they wanted nothing more to do with his words that he was the Isaiah 53 prophecy in their face getting fulfilled for them. Because religion, I don't care what religion you have, religion demands and requires that we have something to do with our own salvation. And I'm not referring to Paul's statement, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's a different idea. We're talking about when we want to provide for our own justification. We can do it ourselves. Thank you very much. We don't need you. And Jehovah says, no, you do need me because you cannot do it on your own. And our religious leaders and scholars will refuse to see that. But Scripture, everything from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, everything has announced it exactly this way, that we need Him to fulfill our justification and to give us a healing 
from our sickness and from our weakness in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and that we cannot be healed and be made well outside of what he does for us. It's impossible. And if you try to make that where you do it instead of where he does it, it will not work and you're going to die a second death. That's what scripture says in Genesis 2.17. So don't fool yourself and don't kid yourself. You can't do it. And that is what this is all about, of this son of man idea. Now we will come back on the next podcast, part three, and we're going to get into more detail about the son of man because it has tremendous meaning why we take the bread and the wine in what most people know as communion. We'll come back and take a look at the Hebraic background of the Son of Man as it relates to when we take bread and we say, Hamotzi lechem min ha'aretz. And when we say the wine blessing by saying, Kiddush, and say, Borei Puri Hagafen. We're going to look at those concepts on the next program because all of this is so much deeper and profound. And the practice of taking bread and wine is the mindset of biblical messianic Judaism because it shows us the person and work of the Son of Man, Yeshua HaMashiach. It's his moniker. It's his signature and precisely what he came to do for us. So join us next time. Go well, be in shalom or in wholeness. I'm Avi Ben Mordechai, and this is Real Israel Talk Radio.